Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, it's always a joy to come out here to the Chesterfield campus. I really appreciate the worship today. Brent, thank you. And uh, really enjoy being around your pastor, Andrew. Uh, I think I remember the first uh, Sunday you were here, I was out here. And uh, what a joy to see how God's blessing uh, y'all here and he and his family. So uh, thanks for the invite to be here with you today. Uh, I do do the chapels for the Detroit Tigers, and like uh, a lot of other areas of life, things were different this last season, so uh, the ballpark was uh, really restricted. So we did most of our ministry via Zoom. We would still do chapels on Sunday. I would be at home, get on uh, my computer, and guys would log in um, either uh, in the clubhouse, if they were on the road, a hotel room, a bus, wherever they were at, they would jump on in and we would uh, do chapels that way. And then Bible study, same thing. We would do it late at night usually, and uh, guys would get on for about an hour, and we'd just do a Bible study that way. So uh, it's really been pretty cool how God has uh, allowed us to continue ministry, even though some restrictions have come along. Some of you may have come to our home plate event that we do every year. It's a big outreach at the ballpark. We invite people all over the state to come. Players come out, share about their faith. And we'll have eight, 9,000 people at that usually. Of course, no one could be at the ballpark this year. So we did a virtual one. And if you haven't seen it and you'd like to, uh, if you're into the Tigers or sports, uh, you can go to the website, homeplatedetroit, homeplatedetroit.org. And uh, right there on the front page, there's a little button where you can click and uh, watch it. There's about an hour long, and uh, eight of the Tigers share different aspects of their life and their walk with Christ. And there's also some cool music on there. Maybe you know the Christian artist uh, Matt Hammett. Uh, Matt has sung live at our events. Uh, Matt did a couple songs, and my favorite song, he did a song with his son Bowen. How many of you know Matt Hammett? Uh, the name, uh, did the song Lead Me? Lead Me? Uh, well, Matt's son Bowen, who's 10 years old, has had three major heart surgeries already in his life, almost died at birth. And uh, so right before this most recent heart surgery, and everyone is like uh, life, um, you know, all, uh, life-threatening, um, uh, Matt said to Bowen, hey, uh, what do you want to do before your surgery? And uh, his son said, I want to do an do a album with you. And so they actually did an album. And one of the songs, kind of the, the uh, key song on it is Heart Strong. And uh, Matt and his son Bowen do that for us on home plate on that virtual setting. So if nothing else, go watch that song. It's really pretty powerful, and they kind of tell the story uh, of it. So I appreciate your prayers. We'll uh, start up the same thing this year with the Tigers in ministry and uh, do a lot of it by Zoom. Normally, I'd go to Lakeland for spring training for the entire time. Uh, this year, I'll probably just go down for a brief amount of time uh, for it. And uh, ministry continues, and uh, I'm so glad to see y'all continuing here uh, like you are as well. Hey, we're in a series uh, about the forgotten virtue. This is the fourth in a series of five. So next week will be the final one. And they're all from the book of 1 John on uh, learning to love again. And so today's title is, What's Love Got to Do With It? 
And uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. The quick answer is everything. What, what's love got to do with everything? Because here in 1 John 4, the passage we'll read, starting at verse 13 down through verse 21, the word love is used 13 times in nine verses. And so it's easy to see the theme of it really is love. Last week we looked at a section in 1 John that dealt with um, uh, knowing God's love, kind of um, the concept of it. And today we really see, how does that affect my life? If I'm really loved by God the way the Bible says, what difference does that make in your life and in my life? And so that's where we're at uh, here today. If you have a Bible, then I really encourage you, have a hard copy of the Bible, an electronic copy. And, uh, and if there's a way uh, when you come to church that you can take notes, or I like to highlight things, but uh, learn your Bible, get familiar with it, uh, mark it up, make notes, and, uh, and when you go back to it and read another time, man, it uh, comes alive and you remember things a lot better. So here in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 13 through 21 in three different sections and look at three different things that were taught about how love makes a difference in our life. The author of the book is John. Uh, John is um, one of the 12 the disciples who walked with Jesus. Uh, John has a brother named uh, James. Uh, their father was Zebedee. We read about James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, in the Bible. Uh, John wrote uh, five books in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote three letters. First John, where we're at today. Second John, another letter. Third John, another letter. And then he also wrote the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. So John wrote five books uh, in our New Testament. In his gospel, five times he calls himself this. He doesn't use his own name. But five times in the gospel of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of strikes me. If we gather in the lobby and we're introducing ourselves after the, the service, and uh, Andrew's, hey, I'm Andrew, and Brent, I'm Brent, and you give your name, and then I pop and say, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. You might go, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. What is your first impression of that statement? It's a little arrogant, it can sound, right? Like, well, who are you? And I don't think that's how he's trying to come across. Uh, some people think he did it out of humility because he never mentions his own name in the Gospel of John. But uh, he identifies himself as the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. Another thought is, uh, of the 12, he was the youngest. Uh, how many of you are the youngest in your family growing up? Okay, were you babied? Okay, maybe you were, and, and so he was the youngest of the 12. And remember, these guys were young. So often we think of the apostles as these old guys. Well, eventually they got there, but when they were following Jesus, uh, most put them in their early to mid-20s, and some, like John, who was the youngest, might have been in his mid to late teens. And so you could see how maybe he kind of became the guy that you know, everyone loved on and, and took care of that way. way. Uh, however, I think this is maybe the best reason why he used that name. 
Here was a guy who wanted to express at the center of his life, he wanted to embrace the love of Christ. He knew that Christ loved him, and that's how he wanted to be identified. Of all the things in life that he'd ever done, he wanted to be known that Jesus loves me. Isn't that one of the first songs we learn? Jesus loves me, this I what? No. And so I think that is what John is saying. And when he writes in the Gospel of John, and then especially where we're reading in 1 John, he just is expressing and embracing the fact, I am loved by Jesus Christ. And so that's where we'll kind of see things go here today. In uh, chapter 4, uh, in verse 13, I'm going to read 13 through 16, we're going to learn this. We're going to learn that we need to know that God's love is in us. That's the key word. God's love is in us. It says this in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. That little statement that begins the verses I just read, by this we know, do you know that statement is used seven times in this book? There are things that John wants us to know and to be sure of. In fact, he kind of uses it as evidences of the fact that we are saved. Hey, if you're saved, here's something you know. Here's something you experience. Not just a head knowledge, but something that is a reality in your life. And one of the things he says, a person who's truly saved, they know and understand that God's love is in them. And so by this we know. The word know itself in this book is used 37 times. God wants us to know some things, not just theoretically, but in reality. And that's the idea of what John is writing about. Let me share one of the no passages that's found in chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 11, it says this, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now listen to this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not wish, but can know. And not because I'm so great or you're so great, but because of the love of Christ for us in giving his life on the cross and rising from the dead. We can know Heaven is her home. In that passage I just read from 1 John 5, it says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You know, folks, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who know Christ and are saved and on their way to heaven. Those who don't know Christ, who are not saved, who are lost, and on their way to hell. In this room right now, you're in one of those two groups. And uh, I hope 
and pray that if you're not in that group that says, I know Christ is my Savior and I'm on my way to heaven, today would be the day that you invite him into your heart and are saved. Because that's what it means to have God's love, the love of Christ, inside of us. Now, what's really cool, in that passage in uh, 1 John 4, uh, verses 13 through 16, and if you like to mark in your Bible, uh, this would be a great thing to mark. Do you know that the Trinity is mentioned in those verses we read a moment ago? Look what it says. Given us his spirit... Testify that the Father has sent the Son and his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Spirit, the Father, the Son, all mentioned right there. And how do they each have a part in helping us know that God's love is in us? Well, the Spirit, we're told, indwells us. He lives inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple? of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and that we were bought with a price. So when Christ died on the cross, and when I put my faith in Christ, I didn't know it at the time when I came to faith in Christ, but the Spirit of God came to live inside of me. Uh, the word that is used is he remains there, he abides there, he dwells there. Let me illustrate it for you. Uh, before I came up here this morning, I put something in my pocket here, uh, just a common everyday thing kids really like, and it's a balloon. And let that balloon for a moment represent the Spirit of God. Uh, when I was 16 years old, through a high school Bible study, I put my faith in Christ, and the Spirit of God came to live inside of me. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He seals my salvation. And so if you know Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Not only know that the Spirit of God lives inside of you, but let the Spirit of God fill your life. And the idea of filling means to control. In fact, in that passage it says, don't be drunk on wine. Uh, you know, wine can control your life if you drink too much of it. Don't be drunk on wine, but be controlled by the Spirit or be filled by the Spirit. So back to the balloon for a moment. The Spirit of God lives inside me as a believer, but I'm to do more than just know that he lives inside of me. I'm to what? Be filled, be controlled by him. So I'm going to fill the balloon, okay? I'll turn over here and... That is the balloon being filled. Now, if I'd walked up here at the very beginning of the service like this, you might say, who is this clown? What is he doing here? Or if you go to work, if you're able to go to work, or you go shopping at the store, and you walk with a balloon like that, people are going to say, what's up with you? And you know what? People are supposed to notice when we're filled, controlled, led by the Spirit of God. And uh, so that's what we're to do, to know God's love. I'm supposed to know that the Spirit of God lives inside of me, and then I let the Spirit of God control and lead in my life. Now, this would be great if we could blow it up and just tie a knot in it. Wouldn't that be good? But it doesn't work that way. 
because uh, I'll go home, driving home today, someone's going to cut me off on the road, and I'm going to get ticked. And, you know, I'm going to lose a little air in my balloon. And then I'll be watching TV, and something will pop on the screen that'll get my mind going somewhere where it shouldn't go, and I'm going to lose a little more air in my balloon. And then I'm going to find out that I bounced a check, and my uh, account's off, and I'm going to be pretty bad before long, right? And you know what I need to do tomorrow or tonight or whenever? I need to get back in the Word of God. I need to spend some time in prayer. Confess my sin. Be in fellowship. And daily be what? Filled, controlled by the Spirit of God. And it'd be nice if we could just tie a knot in it and good, I'm done. I'm set for the rest of my life. But life doesn't work that way. And through the challenge of COVID, through uh, job situations, financial trials, as the air goes out of your balloon, don't ever forget the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and He wants to control your life day by day. And that's what John says. He says, uh, hey, this is how you know God's love is in you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Look what he says next about the Son. Uh, from the Son, uh, we learn that, uh, let me do the Father first, I'm sorry. From God the Father, he says, God has a plan for your life. It says that God sent the Son. God is the author of not just what Jesus came to do, but God is the author of your life as well. And folks, he's got a plan. Uh, you may think that things have been all messed up in the last year. I know we all feel that way at times. But God has a plan for your life in the midst of all of this. I love uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you probably are familiar with it. Uh, God says in that context to the children of Israel, I know the plans that I have for you. Not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to give you hope and a future. And just as God had a plan for his son Jesus to come into this world, God's got a plan for you. And then how do we see uh, the third member of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God in this passage? It says that he became the Savior of the world. You know what Jesus did and he teaches us? He was obedient. He came to earth and he obeyed everything the Father gave him to do. Uh, and because of his love that is in us, we are called out of love to obey everything the Father calls us to do. So the first thing we learn in this passage is that uh, we need to know that God's love is in us. Now here's the second lesson. Not only is God's love in us, but God's love is for us. And so let me read this next passage, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Uh, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as, we, uh, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear." 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you know that God's love and knowing of God's love in my life reminds me that God is for me, and God is for you. He's not against you. In this passage here, uh, the idea of completion is mentioned, that God's love will be perfected. Do you know the work that God began to do in your life and mine as followers of his? He's going to finish it. There may be bumps along the way, but through this life and then when we uh, see him in glory, we're going to be made to be like Christ, and the work will be completed. It's not yet. Uh, but it's going to be completed one day. We, um, we remind uh, that little word perfected in this passage. It's the same word that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. Same word. It's a word that you're familiar with perhaps from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 when Paul writes this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So we learn that God's love is for us. You may feel at times like, yeah, I don't measure up. Man, I blow it so many times. Yeah, you know what? God knows that too. And you know what God says? I'm still for you. I haven't given up on you. I'm gonna bring you to the place ultimately where I want you to be. And so even through uh, times when we, we blow it, God says, I'm still for you. I want you to clean it up. I want you to make things right, but I'm still for you. Uh, we also see in that passage the word confidence is used. That uh, not self-confidence, but a confidence in Christ, and it specifically refers to the day of judgment. Do you know as we look forward to eternity, and there's two judgments the Bible talks about. We as followers of Christ who know that God's love is in us can look at those judgments with confidence. Not pride in ourselves, but confidence in what Christ has done for us. Uh, one judgment is called the great white throne judgment. And that's really the difference between those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ. Uh, where sin is judged. I have confidence about that. Not because I'm perfect, but because my sin was judged in Jesus Christ on the cross. And so I can look at that judgment with confidence. The second judgment is just for Christians, called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat, where it's almost more like a, an acknowledgement or a reward, reward ceremony. Uh, the word used is Bema Seat, and it kind of reminds us of a platform at the Olympics we have a bronze and a silver and a gold, and it's a time of reward. The book of Revelation says that right after we get those rewards, we take those and put them at the feet of Christ. And so those are the two judgments that await in eternity in, in, uh, uh, after we die. And you know what the Bible says? I don't have to fear those. There can be confidence. And then uh, we read this too. There's also in our lives to be change. Here's how God is for us. He's changing my life. If you would, if you have a Bible in front of you, look down at uh, verse number um, uh, six, eight, uh, verse 18. The word love is found all throughout the passage I just read. But in verse 18, there's another word that's used four times. Anyone see it? 
It's the word fear. How about that? Fear. Do you know where fear is first mentioned in the Bible? It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. It's the first human emotion mentioned in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have just sinned. God comes to find them. And it says, Adam and Eve hid themselves among the trees of the garden. I I love that picture. It's kind of like, hey, let's hide here. He won't see us here. We're good. You can't hide from God. And, uh, and, uh, And then it goes on to say this. When God confronts Adam, he says, we hid because we were afraid. And uh, doesn't the devil love to use fear to kind of paralyze us in life? And uh, love, when I know that God is for me, takes that fear away. Um, Maybe you're familiar with the cartoon series, Calvin and Hobbes. How many of you know that little series? Little uh, six-year-old boy, I think, and his stuffed animal tiger, who for him comes to life in uh, every uh, cartoon strip. So in one particular series, Calvin and Hobbes uh, hide from, their mo- from his mom because they accidentally wrecked the family car uh, while trying to move it out of the garage. In the opening frame of one of the strips in this particular series, Calvin's mother spots Calvin in a tree. Oh, there you are. Come down so I can talk to you, she says. No, you'll kill us. We're running away, Calvin replies. I'm not going to kill you, his mother reassures him. I just want to find out what happened. Are you okay? Was anyone hurt? No, Calvin replies. No one was hurt. We were pushing the car uh, into the driveway, and it kept rolling. The car didn't hit anything, the mother asks. And Calvin said, it just went across the road and into the ditch. Uh, That's when we took off. Well, the tow truck pulled it out, and there's no damage, Mom said. Holding out her arms, she continues, so you can come home now. First, Calvin says, peeking uh, his head around the trunk of the tree, let me hear you say you love me. (laughs) You know what? God is saying to us he loves us. And it dispels that fear that so often can trap us in life. Don't be afraid. What do we have to be afraid of? Death? No fear in death for the Christian. Uh, Some unknowns, I get that. But no fear. Judgment, no fear. COVID, uh, yeah, concerns, take care of, but fear, not for the believer. Love trumps fear. Okay? And then here's the last lesson we learn in this passage. In verses 19 through 21, uh, we learn God's love is in us. God's love is for us. And now we need to know this. God's love is between us. The way we love one another and love others is taught here in this passage. It says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, or sister, of course, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, God must also love his brother. Uh, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And uh, here we're taught that uh, we can't share something we haven't experienced. 
If I have not experienced the love of God for me, I can't love others the way I'm supposed to. And if I have experienced God's love for me through Christ, then I'm really commanded to practice a love for others. Now, does that mean everyone's going to be your best friend? No. But you know what? Everyone I'm supposed to love in Christ. And that's a decision and that's an act. That's an intentional pursuit uh, in our lives. And so be a person who not only knows that God's love is in you, that God's love is for you, and then that God's love is between us. I want to wrap up just by reading a story here uh, from a little book I really like called The Power of an Encouraging Word. And it talks about God's love for others and our love for others. And so it's a true story. Uh, Dr. Paul Brandt uh, writes of his experience as a surgeon in London during World War II. He shares this story of how love casts out fear for a young pilot who received words that created hope, healing, and encouragement. Peter Foster was a Royal Air Force pilot. Uh, these men, these pilots, were the cream of the crop of England. They were the brightest, the healthiest, the most confident and dedicated, and often the most handsome men in the country. Uh, when they walked the streets in their decorated uniforms, the population treated them as gods. All eyes turned their way. Girls envied uh, those who were fortunate enough to walk beside a man in Air Force Blue. However, the scene in London was far from romantic, for the Germans were attacking relentlessly. Fifty-seven consecutive nights, they bombed London. In waves of 250, some 1,500 bombers uh, would come each evening and pound the city. The RAF, hurricane and spitfires that pilots like Foster flew, looked like mosquitoes pestering the huge German bombers. Uh, the hurricanes were agile and effective, yet it had one fatal design flaw. The single propeller was mounted in the front, a scant foot or so from the cockpit, and the fuel line snaked alongside of it, the cockpit toward the engine. In a direct hit, the cockpit would melt off every feature of a pilot's face, his nose, his eyelids, his lips, often his cheeks. The, RA, the RAF heroes many times would undergo a series of 20 to 40 surgeries to refashion what once was their face. Plastic surgeons worked miracles, yet what remained of the face was essentially a scar. Peter Foster became one of those downed pilots. After numerous surgical procedures, what remained of his face was indescribable. The mirror he peered into daily couldn't hide the facts. As the day for his release from the hospital grew closer, so did Peter's anxiety about being accepted by his family and friends. He knew that one group of airmen with similar injuries had returned home only to be rejected by their wives, who were unable to accept the new outer image of their husbands. Some men became recluses, refusing to leave their houses. In contrast, there was another group who returned home to families who gave loving assurance of acceptance and continued worth. Many became executives, professionals, and leaders in their communities. Peter Foster was in that second group. 
His girlfriend assured him nothing had changed except a few millimeters of thickness of skin. She loved him, not his facial membrane, she assured him. The two were married just before Peter left the hospital. She became my mirror, Peter said of his wife. She gave me a new image of myself. Even now, regardless of how I feel, when I look at her, she gives me a warmth, loving smile that tells me I'm okay, he says confidently. Do you know what the love of Christ is? It's our mirror to look into, to see how God sees us. Not how the world sees us, not how the devil sees us, not even how sometimes we see us. But God's love helps me to see how God loves me. And then you know what we get to do? We get to become a mirror of God's love for someone else. To help them to see how God loves them. And he uses you and me to do it. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.